Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to the live from bed edition of my YNR chat for Sunday, August 28th. I'm not feeling so hot today, but sometimes talking about YNR makes me feel better, so I figured I would give it a shot. And I, and I also thought maybe I'd start out with just a question for all of you guys to leave me your feedback on. And the question is, what the hell is happening to Catherine? I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not under any kind of illusion about who the character of Catherine is and has been. She's really always been <laughs> a bitch, for lack of a, a more appropriate term. She really has. <laughs> but I was really starting, have been starting to get used to the wise old owl version of Catherine that we've been getting at least for the last couple of years, at least since she met Murphy. And now she's just really turning back into something that is wrong and wicked, and it almost just seems like a really weird left turn for the character. And now, she everything she's doing to Tucker, and now she's being all cranky and taking it out on Murphy, which you know I don't like. I love Murphy, and I feel like bringing Murphy into Catherine's life was the best thing that's happened to that character in so long. He's supposed to be there to balance her out, and he's not doing that at all. They're having lunch or dinner at the athletic club, and Catherine's biting his head off, saying, do you have to make those noises when you chew, Murphy? And understand, you know, that's, you know, that's part of how relationships are, but, you know, we've barely heard from Murphy for months. And I just feel like he's supposed to be there to tell her, to be the one to tell her that she's being evil and wicked. And it's that lack of having Murphy around that I think is causing an imbalance with the character. Now, I don't think that there's any question that um, Catherine cares about her son. I think she cares about Tucker. Which is why what she's doing does not make sense to me. It feels so off to me. And I, I'm wondering, is there anyone out there who thinks that Catherine's motives, where Tucker and his company are concerned, are pure? Is anybody on Catherine's side? Because I certainly haven't heard it. I, I think, again, that, Tuck, that you know she loves Tucker. But at best, what she's doing is a mixed bag because she can love her son and look after his company but what does selling Jabot to her buying Jabot out from under him have to do with his best interest frankly it's just not it's that's just about revenge um i think it has to do with what Tucker did to her and her company when he first came into town. But you know what? You're the parent, Catherine. You're supposed to be bigger than that. You're supposed to be better than that. She, plain and simply, just wanted Jabot for herself because now it's successful. Now that they've got this cactus cream wine, 
It's successful, and so she wants it for herself, and she does not care if it means throwing her own son under the bus to get to it. Now, they went to court this week to, I thought it was supposed to be to, again, reassess Catherine's um, position, or I I can't remember what they call it, but her position, you know, keeping control of Tucker's company, but it ended up being, you know, just two things. First, about Tucker's competency. Is he competent enough to run his own company? And then about the validity of a contract that Catherine threw in front of him about two weeks ago, proposing the liquidation of Jabelle. And since Tucker is not able to comprehend these contracts, Catherine knowingly gave it to him, and he signed it, not knowing that he was signing away a piece of Jabot to her, selling it to her. And the it was kind of a <laughs> close but no cigar situation for Tucker because as it all started to unfold, the judge told Tucker, well, which is it? Are you competent to sign contracts for your company and to, you know, to conduct daily business and, and resume your place at the helm of your company? Or are you not? And did Catherine trick you into signing this contract? And it's, it's, it's really, really was the latter. And it was a matter of pride for Tucker. He didn't want to admit that Catherine had duped him, but he, I think his ultimate goal was to get back control of his company. So the judge ruled that yes, Tucker can take back control of his company, but guess what? The Jabot contract is legally binding which doesn't even really make sense. I'm just, I'm thinking of it now because if he wasn't ruled uh, competent and didn't regain control of the company until after the contract date, I would think he could get a lawyer and still get that contract thrown out. But, you know, for some reason, the writers are really wanting to go after this rift between Tucker and Catherine and, uh, you know, put Jabot right in the center of it. And, and that's what we're going to get. I, I, again, I just feel like I want Catherine out of these nasty business storylines. I feel like, can't they find something else for her to do that's, that's not this. She needs to be relaxing and, you know, supporting, but she doesn't need to be in the middle of these na- of any more of these just nasty business storylines. Okay, I'm just going on it about it, but <laughs> that's how I feel, and I haven't you know really had a chance to explore it. I've been annoyed with Catherine for weeks now, but now it's just it's time to dig in and 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 understand what's happening. Hopefully, this is the end of it. I, I mean, I know it won't be, but I, I'm gonna keep my fingers crossed that maybe some fan reaction here. Fan dissatisfaction here is going to change the the waves. On on the positive side, I really I think Ashley is so good for Tucker. She wasn't able to show up to help him win this court case, but he was able to win it on his own, and she was there to support him. And just when Tucker was feeling down, you know, realizing that he had signed away Jabot accidentally and that his mother had one-upped him, Ashley is standing there reinforcing him, saying, don't focus on the loss of Jabot. Focus on the fact that you've just gained back your freedom, your whole company, your life. You've got, you've got your life back. And I really appreciated that about her. And I, I, I just, I like Ashley with Tucker more than I've liked her 
with anyone in a while. I, I just, and I, I think she brings out the, the good side in him, the softer side in him, and I just, I, I really, I like them together. I want them to get back together. I, I just, I really want Ashley to forgive him. Okay, last week I was kind of hard on Daniel and Lily. I'm still having trouble getting over Lily and Kane, as you know, and <laughs> seeing Lily and Daniel together so soon after Kane and Lily was, has been uh, difficult for me. But I feel, I, I kind of want to go back. I feel, because I feel turned around on Lily and Daniel a little bit this week. I mean, maybe Lily does need to move on and do whatever she needs to do to start getting over Kane because I know in my heart that that relationship was just based on lie after lie after lie, and it doesn't matter how much they loved each other, the, the lie doesn't go away. The love does not wash away the lie. So maybe we need to start moving on, you guys. <laughs> Maybe we just need to start moving on. Daniel was so understanding with her about the hotel mishap. Lily, you know, wanted to sleep with him, realized that she wasn't ready, and kind of ran away. And Daniel really could have pulled back and said, you know, I think maybe this is a bad idea, which is probably what I would have done. But instead, he was really understanding with her. And she came over the next day to his apartment to apologize and tr to try to explain what happened. And they ended up making love <laughs> for real this time in his apartment, the way they should have from the beginning. They shouldn't. I mean, I, I pegged that right off the bat that they should not. Why would Lily try to set up a, a hotel situation with Daniel, when that's exactly what she and Kane used to do. I think I'm not going to falter for it because I think that she's just trying to break those old habits. But I, again, I'm, they should have just gone to Daniel's apartment in the first place. Now, I'm kind of starting to feel, though, like I appreciate that they had the hotel mishap in the first place. It feels real. And it, I, it, it made the actual sex at Daniel's apartment, feel better, feel more real, because it's so easy, maybe you guys know this from experience, I do, it's so easy to put pressure, tons and tons of pressure on a first sex encounter with somebody, you know, maybe when you want it to be love, or you want to love them, and it's just so easy to, to put a lot of pressure on that first making love, or in this case, um, not having sex in a really long time. I mean, they've, it's been years and years and years since Lily and Daniel were together. For, so for all intents and purposes, it's kind of like first sex. And I just know from my own experience that y you try to create this perfect moment for the first time. But, you know, the, the real perfect moment actually happens totally naturally. And that's what we had with Lily and Daniel this week. So I did appreciate it. I am coming around, you guys, Aaron, if you're listening. I know you are a huge Lily and Daniel. I know there's a lot of there are a lot of people that enjoy it. And I'm I'm trying to open myself up <laughs> to loving them. Unfortunately, the the problem is I just don't see them together long term. 
I, I don't know why. I just feel, I guess I just feel like they're two different. Daniel is such a funky, offbeat, rebel, hipster, artist guy. And Lily is so much more classy and conservative. And I just don't know that those two are going to mix. I I just just don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of the same, in the same vein as Billy and Victoria. And I, I do, I do like Billy and Victoria. Um, but look how that relationship has turned out. I mean, there, 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 sometimes there's a, you know, the differences can create a balance and sometimes the differences can create a wall. So I don't know which is going to be the case for Lily and Daniel, but I am, just so you know, trying to open myself up to it. So we've had a few little developments on the Diane <clears throat> murder investigation. The first one, which is was pretty shocking to me is Adam's ring. Adam's Harvard class ring has come back into the limelight. Ronan had it analyzed. And initially the this piece of evidence was thrown out because the mark on Diane's arm did not specifically match to Adam's ring because the ring had a little chip in it. But Ronan had it reanalyzed, and the evidence showed that it, this was a chip that was made in the ring <laughs> after I'm, there's a, there's reasoning behind it. But after Diane had been murdered. So they analyzed the gold and and the shape of the nick and blah 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 blah. <laughs> so now um Ronan believes that the Adam destroyed the ring on purpose to deflect any of that attention away from him from himself. But I feel like I the reason why I find this surprising is because I believe that the the ring mark is from Jack. We all saw close up Jack grabbing and twisting Diane's arm. It was Jack who did that. Jack, I feel like it was Jack who made the mark. Not intentionally, but again, I don't believe for a second that Jack killed Diane. But I don't think that that points toward Adam. And, and in fact, in so many ways, I feel like this they're they're, they're trying to th YNR is trying to throw suspicion for this murder onto Adam because he's the most likely suspect. We all know darn well that he's killed before. He killed that high high tower guy and got away with it. Um, and it's I think that he is probably um, you know he's always on the outs in Genoa City. We know what he can what he's capable of when he gets desperate. I mean Adam is one of the guys who it makes no bones about it. He does terrible things, and we see it as viewers, and we know that this is a bad guy. So I think they're trying to put suspicion onto him as, again, a red herring. And that's all. That's what I think it is. Adam has been 
acting shady this week too, which I think just must be unrelated. But um, he was uh, seen having a telephone conversation, a questionable con telephone conversation, saying things like, um, yes, I have information on that. I just didn't know that it was going to come so quickly. And I'm paraphrasing, of course, but it, it, it all leads up to, uh, uh, who knows? Uh, you know, he could have been, it was all very general talk on this mystery conversation. And then Adam actually tries to leave town. Now, from our perspective, again, it's looking all suspicious, like he's trying to get away from something. And we find out that he has been put on the no-fly list by the district attorney so that he cannot leave town. Outraged, Adam goes to the district attorney and tells him, why am I not able to leave town? I have a great excuse for leaving town, and all of a sudden we learn <laughs> that, or Adam says that, he has been invited to participate in some type of experimental I vision trial like since we all know he does not have his peripheral vision he's he's been invited to go do some tests or you know be part of a clinical trial that may help restore his peripheral vision and it's all coming at a time when the walls are closing in on him i mean frankly the walls of Diane's murder investigation are closing in on him the walls of Sharon and destroying the evidence that could help her, that's all closing in on him and also helping her escape from jail. I mean, he's got many, many charges against him, and now suddenly he's wanting to leave town and has this magical excuse of a, a clinical uh, uh, um, eye trial. And my question to you is, true or false? Adam is going to participate in an experimental vision trial. What do you think? Is it a lie? Because, again, you know, the, the DA was able to confirm with a doctor, with Adam's doctor, that, uh, yes, the trial exists, and yes, that's where he's going, but we all know that Adam has doctor friends that he's capable of blackmailing. He did the same thing with Dr. Taylor to try to pull off the Ashley's hysterical pregnancy thing. So it's almost, you can't even tell if he's lying. There's really no way. He could genuinely be going to get his vision back, or it could ha have been a complete lie. <laughs> Either way, you just never know with this guy, and that's why I like him. You just never know. So, in other evidence, other developments on the Diane murder investigation, the walls are also closing in on Ashley and Nick. Ronan has made no bones about letting them both know that he has pinged their cell phones uh, for the night of Diane's murder, and he knows without a shadow of a doubt that they were both in and around the park uh, near the time of Diane's murder. So he goes to Nick and Ashley and says, well, wh what do you have to say for that? <laughs> and uh, Nick and Ashley, this 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 whole thing actually took place at Glowworm. N Nick and Ashley uh, are are just about to kind of scramble together an excuse when Ronan says, "Oh, excuse me, <laughs> I have another phone call to take." And at the time, I thought, "Are you kidding me? You're getting up and you're going to give him a chance to come up with an alibi." He takes his cell phone call away from the table, and while he's gone, Nick and Ashley come up with this excuse that they're going to tell Ronan that they, you know, oh, I don't even remember what their stupid excuse was, <laughs> to be honest with you. 
<laughs> because the point is, Ronan comes back and uh, <laughs> and listens to their story and buys it immediately. You know, they're obviously telling a lie and Ronan's like, okay, all right, thanks for being so honest. Walks away from the table. Nick and Ashley are like, Phew, we, we sure got away with that one, you know, good thing. And Ronan comes back just a few seconds later and says, Oh, excuse me, I forgot my bag. And he pulls a bag uh, from kind of the back of his chair where he had it hanging and, and keeps it and walks out the door. Now, this has not been um, <laughs> revealed yet, but I'm sure... <laughs> That Ashley and Nick just fell for the old bag trick, the old recorder in, a, in the bag trick. I'm sure that Ronan had a, a voice recorder in there recording Ashley and Nick's conversation while he was away from the table. He's no dummy. Um, uh, he's God, God bless Ronan with both looks and smarts. <laughs> so, so um, yes, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, Ashley and Nick uh, just made themselves look really bad. Although, again, I don't think either of them did it. They were, however, smart enough to finally hook up with Michael. Finally, hook up with a lawyer. They, they, they're probably, you know two of the very lead suspects. They should have been talking to a lawyer way before this. They shouldn't have had any conversations with Ronan. They shouldn't have met Ronan at Glowworm without a lawyer. If there's anything that I've learned from YNR and from Michael Baldwin, it's don't talk to the cops without your attorney. <laughs> so, um, yeah, bad move on their part. But Michael is helping assist them um, on their own little investigation, trying to figure out who exactly it is that's blackmailing them. Nick is still getting these phone calls of his recording, you know, the night he was threatening Diane, and Ashley has received this anonymous photo of her taken on that park video camera. It had been mailed to her by the blackmailer just to let her know that he has this evidence that could blow her story out of the water. And Nick actually had the idea that I was very smart of, you know, having the, the whole package tested. And they were not able to find any fingerprints on the package, but they were able to pick something up off of the the envelope that whoever emailed or emailed whoever mailed Ashley this envelope licked it shut, which I refuse to do. I haven't lift, licked an envelope in ten years, but they uh, they licked it, and the results have come back, and and the results say that whoever licked the envelope has the same. Y chromosome <laughs> markers as Nick. So I'm assuming that means that whoever licked the envelope was a Newman. Now I don't know if the Y chromosome marker part means that it has to be a Newman male, but Nick immediately thinks that this has to be Adam. If it's, you know, it, it, everybody thinks Adam does everything, and he does for the most part, but just as a viewer, just knowing that they're, it's, they're dangling that little piece of meat in front of us, I'm sure, um, and I'm sure that Adam will not turn out to be the killer. I'm sure of it. <laughs> but uh, that's what Nick thinks, and um, I'm just wondering, who do you guys have any theories about who else it could possibly be if not Adam? Uh, I mean, if it was going to be a Newman male, the only other Newman males would be Victor, 
or Noah. And I don't see either Victor or Noah trying to blackmail Ashley if it's a if it's a Newman female. I mean, Victoria clearly has some question marks. She plays a role in this somehow. She fits into the puzzle somehow. I don't know how, but is it possible Victoria could be blackmailing Ashley? If so, she certainly wouldn't be the one blackmailing Nick. So I don't know. I I don't know. Is I, another thought I had was: Is it possible Adam has a son? that we don't know about, who could possibly have played a role in this? I don't know. I'm curious to know what your theories are. Who Who is blackmailing Ashley and or Nick? Because it could be two different people. Um, and what do you make of the whole Y chromosome thing? Uh, let me know your theories. She's back. <laughs> Heather is back in town, and I know you guys did a collective eye roll. We all did a collective eye roll <laughs> when Heather walked back onto the scene. I've only met, like, maybe one or two people that enjoy Heather, <laughs> but it's 95% of people that I have talked to about YNR. <laughs> she cannot stand her. Just simply cannot stand her. So Heather shows back up in town this week, and... She winds up in the same restaurant as Ronan. <laughs> the one thing I asked <laughs> of YNR, I said, thank you for bringing Ronan back. Please do not pair him with Heather. And I feel like we're it's it's two steps forward and three steps back because now we're just back to the, we're going to be back to the same Ronan-Cloy-Heather triangle that we were at a couple of years ago. And I, I'm not happy about it. You, you guys just know I'm not happy about it. Ronan approached... Heather at Glowworm, and he just, I hate to say it, but he ha he had the same look on his face when he saw Heather as he had when he saw Chloe for the first time in a long time. And he approached her, and just the look on his face and his body language said that obviously he wants to make things right. He feels bad about the way that he left things with both Chloe and Heather. I don't know if he's feeling lonely now, but he obviously feels, you know, like he did them wrong and he wants to make it right. And my question is, why does he feel that way about Chloe and Heather, but not with Nina and Chance? There's got to be something more. And I just can't, I just, why are we, do we have to wait any longer <laughs> to find out that answer? I can't even believe that Wyanor has brought Ronan back into the picture. <laughs> He's been here for two or three weeks and they haven't even begun to address what happened with the liver thing. That has got to be coming. It's, it is also holding me back from my full enjoyment of Ronan. I, I'm sure that there's a reasonable explanation, something that will redeem him <laughs> in my mind, but I just, I really don't know what it is. And uh, I, I had to hold back my anger during the, the Ronan and Heather scenes. We're spending time on that, spending plenty of time on that. I could have done without that this entire scene. I, I can't even believe that Ronan and Heather were ever together he is like a perfect 10 tan Ken doll. And she is so white <laughs> and so tr translucent. <laughs> she is almost translucent. And 
I had almost had the pleasure of forgetting exactly how whiny and annoying and kind of shaky her voice is. <laughs> I did pretty good. That was pretty good. It kind of is that. There's a there's like a trembling in her voice <laughs> when she speaks. <sighs> and now she's back. And I was really really hoping that she was gone for good. I I knew this day would come, but she's back for good. And worst of all, now she is on the Diane murder investigation. She's on the case. She's going to be working closely with Ronan. I just, I just beg you guys, just say it ain't so. Nick is really curious to know what is going on with Phyllis and Deacon, and I'm very curious also. Nick actually confronted Deacon this week, and he accidentally completely contradicted Phyllis's story, her alibi, to Deacon, and ended up exposing them both. Phyllis and Nick have always maintained that they were together the whole time that night, and in in Nick telling Deacon that, Deacon realized that they were both lying because Deacon saw Phyllis in the park. He saw that with his own eyes. So he understands that that Phyllis can't lie to him, but the fact that Nick stood there and lied sent off a huge red flag in Deacon's mind. And now Deacon realizes that because Nick and Phyllis care about each other, he now has a little added bonus of something to hang over Phyllis's head. Not only has he seen that she has lied, but now Nick has lied too. And so he let Phyllis know that, kind of in his slimy way, let her know that he has the goods over them both. And now Phyllis is is thrust into this position where she has to protect both of them. She has to protect herself, and she wants to protect Nick. And I I just, I'm trying to wrap my brain around <laughs> what Deacon is getting out of this. It's very strange. It's very strange. Deacon is a good-looking guy. <laughs> Obviously, he has no problem with the ladies at Glowworm. You know, slinging their drinks. I mean, for, I almost completely forgot about his involvement with Nikki. I, I've blocked that out of my brain. But obviously, Deacon does not have a problem warming his way into wealthy women's lives um, through fraud. <laughs> I guess, maybe that's just it. Maybe that's just his way. But I, I, I want to understand, if we're going to continue to see Deacon, if he's going to continue to be on the scene, I want to understand why he's doing it. Deacon has always been on the show as just this slimy character, and they they really have not gone to the trouble of giving him any background. I am not a bold and the beautiful watcher. I would love to be if I had the time to be, but I'm. I don't know his background. I don't know anything about his kid. I re- I don't know anything about anything that happened in Los Angeles. So I, I feel like YNR here. I'm feeling I'm being very critical this week, but. I need to have some background on Deacon. I need to understand his motives. I need to understand why he continues to do this. Why did he do that to Amber? Why did he do that to Nikki? Why is he doing it to Phyllis? What is the motive? Is it just 
about acceptance? Is Deacon someone who just never has felt accepted? Especially by the higher class people? Because you kind of do get this sense that Deacon is from the streets. <laughs> and, you know, he's he's been, you know, slithering around in this high class world. And I'm, I wonder if, is that part of it? Is it about acceptance? Is it that he wants to be able to run in those circles and, that, and, and force himself into that society? Yet they don't accept him. Yet they've always looked down on him. Is that the crux? If it is, just tell me, YNR. Help me. <laughs> Help me understand. Because um, until then, it's just creepy. It's just creepy the way he's stalking Phyllis. And Nyx, it's, 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 I don't understand her either. Because <laughs> Phyllis realizes that Deacon is doing this. And I think she's using it as an excuse to make Nick jealous of all things, she should be terrified. This man has evidence. Deacon has evidence over holding over her head that has to do with murder. It's serious. She now has two children that she needs to think about. And 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 suddenly it doesn't bother her that much that he has evidence that might implicate her in a murder that could send her to jail away from those kids for years. <laughs> She's using it to play games. With Nick, she sends Nick, Deacon comes to the, to the restless style, and he's being all wormy, and Phyllis sends a text message to Nick saying, come here immediately, it's urgent, come to restless style. So Phyllis is setting up this situation where Nick can walk in on her and Deacon, and they weren't doing anything, it's not like they were, you know, in the throes of passion or whatever, but they're having a conversation. Nick walks in and Phyllis kind of cuts Nick off. Like she doesn't want, it's so obvious and so weird. Like she doesn't want him to say that she texted him secretly, but, but yet then they don't really talk about it afterwards. Like Deacon kind of goes away and then Nick asks her, well, okay, why, why did you just text me? And she just sort of plays it off. Like, is it, just, are you just using this to on the side? Is that a, just an added bonus of you being blackmailed? I just, uh, this, see, again, it, this, this is confusing me. It's just confusing me. And is Phyllis really that intimidated by Ashley? And, I mean, Nick is going out of his way to convince a woman that he's not involved with Phyllis supposedly not involved with, not back together with, even though they have sex and every conversation they have is sex-y and sex-related. He's going out of his way to prove to her that he's not involved with Ashley, yet sh that does not enough for her. She doesn't get it. <laughs> that doesn't solve it. And I, I, Phyllis and Nick, they need to just communicate. They, they also had this really funny and weird conversation this week where they both they realized that both of their alibis were blown it's kind of come out between them that okay they both went to the park I and mean, they're both sort of they've been sort of separately under investigation for this murder uh for diane's murder and not talking to each other about it which is ridiculous because maybe if 
Phyllis and Nick would communicate, they could put two and two together, figure out exactly who's, you know, if they would just do full disclosure, maybe Phyllis has information that could help them, you know, figure out that, that uh, who's blackmailing Nick and Ashley. They just, they need to communicate and they're not communicating. And instead they're talking in riddles. Nick and Phyllis started to reveal <laughs> that the, that they were at the park on the night of Dan's, Diane's mur- murder in this weird allegory about cupcakes. Nick, instead of just asking Phyllis <laughs> if she had been to the park that night, he creates this scenario where there were some cupcakes that were in the break room and somebody took the cupcakes. Was it you, Phyllis? <laughs> And Phyllis is like, um, no, maybe somebody thought they saw me take those cupcakes, but I'm telling you, Nick, I did not take the cupcakes. It was so funny and so weird, and, I mean, it was it was entertaining, I'll, I'll give it that, but I just can't help thinking, can you guys just please come out with it and communicate with each other and figure out who the heck killed Diane? There have been two major developments on Sharon's case. The first and most significant, I think, is the fact that Avery was able to get her a new trial. There was um, apparently some jury misconduct. You know, for all of the, the times we've been kicking back and forth between us, you and me, saying, what is it? that's going to get Sharon off the hook. It's always something that comes out of left field. Like, could we really have ever predicted that there was going to be some jury misconduct <laughs> that was going to magically get Sharon a new trial um, just at the same time when the second development, uh, second major development is happening, that they are, uh, or Paul has had the brilliant idea to drain or drag, drag the creek where uh, the memory card was was thrown. So so now um, it looks like that evidence is is possibly going to be coming to light, which is very exciting. Um, I'm 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 the, the Paul dragged the creek, came up with a bunch of garbage, and we saw a shot uh, amongst that garbage of the memory card. The question is, the only question is, will they? put two and two together, I'm sure they will. Well, and will the memory cards still have all of the appropriate video evidence? You know, hopefully it's not been waterlogged. I'm sure it won't. I mean, I've lost, I've lost memory cards where I've done nothing. I've just like popped them out of my camera and all of a sudden they just don't work anymore and the data is not recoverable. But this memory card has been sitting in a creek for a couple of weeks and I'm sure they will be able to restore it perfectly, um, which is fine. Fine by me. Um, um, so it definitely looks like Sharon's going to be, uh, getting out of jail just as she was, seemed like she was starting to get used to being there. Um, she's getting used to wearing her prison blue jeans and, you know, she, and she was even doing some new things with her hair and she seems like she's in a better place. And I, and just in general, I really am missing Sharon Case. I really, I really like her a lot.
I really, really do. I, I, I feel like there's, I feel like just even in the character of Sharon, there has been a lot of maturity within the last couple of years, probably since, uh, I mean, I probably since her involvement with Adam, I think the less, I think, you know, think what you will about Sharon and Adam's relationship. I think that there were some really powerful lessons there for Sharon that will be carrying her into the future. I just, I sense a maturity there that, that wasn't there before. And I am looking forward to getting her out of jail and back into Genoa City, back doing something interesting. And the, the other thing I wanted to note was that there was a very good uh, moment between Noah and Sharon this week. He came to visit her in jail, and it, it seems like he's starting to come around to forgiveness, um, you know, for, for the fact that, you know, they thought she was dead. She let them think she was dead for months. Um, time has apparently healed that wound a little bit, or, you know, just kind of helped soften it. Time has softened that wound a little bit. And so Noah came to jail to tell him that he forgave her, and she mentioned to him that she really misses Faith. And, you know, Noah agrees and believes and knows that Sharon needs to have this contact with her daughter. And so Noah goes home and starts to feel Nick out about possibly letting Faith go see Sharon in jail. And Nick is not having it. Nick is not happy right off the bat. He does not want his daughter going to jail and uh, to, to visit, the, you know, his convict mother or her convict mother. And Noah calls Nick out on it real quick. Even even though I don't think that this is the case, Noah said straight up, this is not about you and mom. This is not about how you feel about my mom. This is about keeping her away from her daughter, and you know that that's not right. And, um, yeah, maybe Noah is right. Maybe Noah is. I'm sure he is. Uh, so, anyway, uh, Nick, or, uh, Noah kind of gives Nick that little bit of lesson. And um, the, the powerful moments that I really specifically wanted to focus in on were the fact that what Noah said to Nick was this. Everyone else in your family gets your forgiveness. They des they deserve your forgiveness. You give limitless forgiveness to your father, Victor. Limitless. You give forgiveness to Victoria. You give forgiveness to Phyllis. Why will you not give the, the forgiveness to Sharon? I thought that was a really excellent point. And just as Noah turns to, to, to go out the door, he turns around and he says to Nick, you know, after Cassie died and you left, you left us, we forgave you. And that was the pivotal moment for Nick. And the next thing we know, Nick shows up at the jail with Faith in his arms there to see Sharon. Brace yourself. <laughs> Brace yourself for this one. <laughs> if you haven't been watching the show. Avery is Phyllis's sister. Now, maybe just hearing that, just the, 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 just the fact of it is not as big of a deal as, as the interaction between the two of them, because it was powerful. All, you know, it, all pretty much Monday through Thursday's show was about 
hmm, seems to be some sort of connection between Avery and Phyllis. What is it? And then just at the at the very end, they, you know, Phyllis and Avery, or Phyllis started to figure out, Phyllis figured out first who Avery was and then confronted her, and the confrontation was excellent. Excellent. It was by far my favorite part of the week. Um, it was the bombshell of the week, no doubt. The The interaction between these two women felt totally real. I am buying that Avery is Phyllis's sister 100%. I feel it. I don't even question it. You know, sometimes, you know, they'll bring somebody on to the show and say that they're magically related to another character and you just think, eh. <laughs> That's kind of convenient. But this, I just think it works. And I also love Avery. I love her. She's just, for one thing, she's just fun to look at. I just think she has a really great presence. And I think, too, she's a really great actress. Because in the confrontation scenes between... Phyllis and Avery, Avery looked scared and she looked intimidated and, you know, she looked appropriately emotional. I just, I I just, I feel connected to the, to the character of Avery right away. And I thought also it was a neat little scene at the, you know, aside from the Phyllis stuff, just to kind of get an insight on her character is why I'm mentioning this. She had this scene at the athletic club bar with Victor, where they're discussing Sharon's case and she is eating a steak dinner. And she's carving away at her steak, and the bartender brings her a little carafe of ketchup. And she looks to Victor, apologizes to him, says, I know this is disgusting probably to you, but this is how I take my steak. And she starts piling on ketchup on top of what is probably a very expensive steak. And the reason I mention this is because I, I really think it says something about the character. At first, I, I I thought about that for a minute, and I thought, why did why did they show that? Why did they do that? What does that say? Um, and also the fact that she's furiously eating the steak. I mean, she's eating it quickly. And, and I, what I think it says is that, first of all, she's someone that's on the go. She's a hard worker. That's why she was eating the steak so quickly. But, but just the fact that she's now kind of been put into this situation in Genoa City where she's dealing with the, these high society people. You know, she's probably on Victor's payroll, so he's probably paying for that meal, I'm sure. And they deliver her what is probably a very expensive steak. And this is a person who still enjoys ketchup on top of it. And it almost you know, conveys a, scent of, a, a sense of stunted sophistication. You know, like, she's she's not a sophisticated person. And I like that about her because she is stunningly beautiful and uh, she seems to have a class about her, but there's something, you know, bumbling about her, too, that makes her down to earth and that makes me buy it. And, again, I, I, I buy her as Phyllis's sister, Phyllis's little sister. The way she was looking at Phyllis uh, during their conf- confrontation um just like she looked up to Phyllis, and I understand that emotion. Looking up to someone 
who has let you down. And although the full situation has yet to be revealed, it was intimated in the conversation between Phyllis and Avery that something bad happened in their childhood. And I cannot wait to find out what (laughs) it was. The implication was that something bad happened in the house Phyllis got out. She got away. And she never looked back. Yet, still behind in the house was the little sister. This seems to almost sort of be similar now that I think about it. Yeah, you know? Hmm. Now that I think about it, it's really the exact same situation as happened with Michael and Kevin. Terrible Tom was their father. Of course, this was revealed years and years after we knew the Michael Baldwin character. There was a terrible father in the home, um, and Michael got out and left Kevin behind to be, you know, beaten by Tom, tortured by Tom. And, you know, Michael Michael has always felt guilty about that. Um, and he's always looked after Kevin, even when it wasn't in his own best interest, you know, you know to a fault. And uh, it is a, it sounds like a very similar situation, and I'm thinking of this because uh, just from from the previews for next week and a little bit at the end of this week, uh, Phyllis and Michael started to have a conversation about it. Michael is the only person that Phyllis is going to open up to right now about her sister being in town, and now it just makes total sense that you know they have they have that in common. Um, although also from the previews from next week's show, Michael says to her, "I'm sure that you must feel guilty." And Phyllis just looks at him and says, you know, the thing is, I don't, I don't feel guilty. So, and I don't know if that's just Phyllis and her self-preservation instinct. Phyllis is a different person than Michael is, but it it definitely does seem like, um, I don't know, something bad went down. Something went bad and bad went down in that house. And I really, I'm completely compelled, (laughs) completely compelled to find out what the, the real story is. I think it's time that we learned about Phyllis's past. She's been on the show for a long time. Again, this is kind of what they they do. She's been on the show for a long time, and um, we've never had any (laughs) uh, insight into where she came from. And so I'm looking forward to this, both on the level of getting to know Avery and possibly even more so uh, on the level of really digging in and getting to know who Phyllis is and, more importantly, why Phyllis is who she is. So what do you know? Victor needs a a new full-time vet. (laughs) His horse vet (laughs) is gone. Something's happened to him. And so now he he happens to need a new full-time vet just at the time when uh, Sam (laughs) is in town. Now, I don't know why. Sam doesn't just rent a room at the ranch if he's, you know, Sam is the kind of guy that's not going to take anything from anybody. I, you know, he wants to pay. If he's going to stay somewhere, he wants to pay for it. I really like that about him. He's got uh, morals. He's got some moral fiber. He's got a backbone. Um, it, but it, but if he's working at the ranch, I don't understand why he doesn't just... And Victor offered him a room. So I don't understand why he doesn't just offer to, to, to rent a room at the ranch. But then again, that wouldn't be any fun at all because what he did was bumble over to Victoria's house and ask if 
he could rent the room above Victoria's garage. <laughs> now, Victoria is all lonely in that house. <laughs> she's lonely, she's confused. <laughs> there are summer nights still yet to be had. <laughs> and I'm wondering here... <laughs> I'm wondering if uh, things might happen between Victoria and Sam. Um, uh, first of all, I'm going to be completely frank with you here. I'm getting tired of Billy's crap. I am. I, I have always loved Victoria and Billy, but I'm getting tired of his crap. <laughs> I love Billy Miller. I love the character of Billy, but just for some reason they've decided to take him back down the drunken gambler route and maybe that was because of his contract i know he recently renewed a contract so maybe it's that but um you know he's 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 gone down that path and it has it has turned me off of him and um i'm just wondering if there might be a little bit of something special that could happen between victoria and sam you know i don't know I like the I like the idea of, of Victoria being with someone who is different from her. That was part of the appeal of her and Billy's relationship. Um, I'm just not I'm not sure if Sam would be it. It may be another situation where I just want it once. <laughs> um, I don't I don't know if it would last long term. Uh, but I mean, you know you know you know why it wouldn't last. I'll tell you right now why why a Victoria and Sam relationship would not last because. Victor likes him. Vic Victoria does not like boys who daddy likes. <laughs> Victoria likes boys who daddy does not like. <laughs> so if that tension's not there in the relationship, well, what fun is it? So um, I, I, maybe I should stick with my theory. Maybe we just need to see Victoria and Sam one time just to satisfy my, my own curiosity. Jack showed up at Genevieve's mansion this week, and they started to make out. <laughs> it was their usual banter, followed by a surprisingly pleasing and passionate makeout session. Part of me was was is wondering if if I like them together, if I like Jack and Genevieve together. Uh, but it was pretty nice. You know, they started to make out, and Genevieve had to put the brakes on it. She had just found out earlier that day that Colin had officially filed for divorce, and now Jack shows up, and she's probably feeling all vulnerable. Uh, so she stops the makeout session, and she opens up to Jack a little bit, and it really helped provide some great insight into the into the Genevieve character. It's and it's really pretty much everything that we've always known that her relationship with Colin fell apart because of the death of their daughter. Um, but I think what was the new revelation or the new insight into her character is that Genevieve has never slept with anyone but Colin. She's never been with anyone but Colin. She met Colin when she was very young and he molded her. I mean, can't you just see it? I can just see it. He molded her into who she is and today, and in so many ways, Genevieve still identifies herself as his wife. 
you know, her identity is so wrapped up in being Colin's wife or being, and or being in Colin's world, whether it's loving him or getting revenge on him, one or the other. But it was, it was that she opened up to Jack about that this week and it, it made me feel a little more tender toward, uh, the, toward their relationship. And they actually, um, <laughs> Jack just listened and was nice to her and wiped a tear away from her cheek and that eventually got him laid. <laughs> There was a slight delay in the Jack and Genevieve lovemaking, but eventually we got there. We got to the sex, um, and uh, it was it was pretty good. I I enjoyed it. It was tender. the The thing that is kind of bothering me about Genevieve, and I really hate to say this, but Jeannie Francis again, she's so great, but dang, she needs a new hair style. She really does. She's it's. Uh, the 90s called, and they said they want their hairdo back. It's not good. It's like the bangs and then the one little swoop over to one side. Like, it's the split bang. <laughs> and the hair is very long. And I just, I think for her age, you guys, come on. Cut her hair, give her a curl, a frame around her face. Don't stick her with a hairdo that I had when I was, like, 15. <laughs> she doesn't, I, she may have only slept with Colin, but she needs to have some chance of sleeping with someone in the future. <laughs> it's just bad, and it needs to be changed, and I really think I would feel a lot <laughs> differently and better toward her, and I think you guys would, too, if they would just cut the hair maybe to, maybe to mid-neck length. I'm I'm thinking not quite to the shoulder, mid neck. Give it a nice, uh, bouncy curl, um, and I think it would make a world of difference. I think she would feel like a girl again. I think that uh, she could be more free. I think that she could make a really wonderful partner for Jack. But you know, we need to get her free of Colin, and I think that means cutting her hair. <laughs> we need to see a. a, a we, I want to see her transformation. I really hope they go in this direction. I want to see the transformation of Genevieve from you know getting out from under that identity as as Colin's wife and moving into a possible new future with Jack. Now, Jill. <laughs> Let's talk. Oh, you know, before we do that, one other little thing I want to mention. After Jack and Genevieve had sex, <laughs> they both went back downstairs and there was a vase that was knocked off of the shelf that Genevieve seemed very puzzled about. Now, either Jack and Genevieve rocked the house so hardcore that they shook the walls <laughs> and knocked that vase off of the shelf and crashed it onto the floor, or is there a suggestion of a supernatural element here? Is, did you guys take that from that scene? Because I'm almost wondering. There's been so much focus on Samantha. Her ashes are sitting on the mantle. Is there a suggestion that there might be a, a ghost of Samantha that could be making an appearance soon? We'll see. Now, Jill. Let's talk about Jill. Because Jill pretends... She likes to pretend or put on an air that she hates Colin 
but yet she still answers his phone calls. And she still entertains him. You know, she she still has lunch with him. They're sitting there at, at Glowworm this week, and um, it was a cute little scene. Um, Jill and Colin are having the lunch at Glowworm. Uh, Jack and Genevieve come in post-sex for a little post-sex luncheon to, you know, get the, get those, get, get some energy back up, eat, a, eat some red meat. And uh, they had, what was set up was a really cool, like, Jill and Colin versus Jack and Genevieve tit-for-tat sequence at Glowworm. Um, it was an obvious tension between Jack and Genevieve. Jill, Jill is obviously kind of jealous of Genevieve, and, you know, you guys know what the, the situation is between them. And then there's this, um, from between the two couples, and then there's this sequence of um, Jack uh, and Genevieve sending a glass of champagne over to Jill and Colin's table, and then Jill and Colin sending a dessert, dessert over to, to Jack and Genevieve's table, and just kind of looking at each other in between going, hey, hey. you know, it was very jazzy, it was, it was very, um, <laughs> it was very coy, it was very, it was a nice little sequence, I really enjoyed it, um, here's the thing, I understand the tension here, I understand, for Genevieve and Jack, I understand what's going on, for Colin, I understand what's going on, for Jill, Am I supposed to believe that Jill cares more about upstaging Genevieve than she does about her own dignity? I mean, she's wanting to one-up Genevieve. Like, you know, they're both, they're also like each couple is kind of kissing each other, you know, trying to make the other couple jealous for their own reasons. But again, I understand Genevieve's motive. She wants to make Colin jealous. I understand Jack's motive. He wants to get in Genevieve's pants. I understand Colin's motive. He wants to get in Jill's pants. But Jill, the man lied to you. He used you. And if he hadn't got caught, he would be in Australia right now with his grandkids, not thinking a second thought about you. He would have left you on the ground. He would have helicoptered away and left you on the ground and in the past. And so I don't understand why she's even giving him a second chance. I, I just and I don't I don't even think he deserves it. Although, you know, although <laughs> the the actor who plays Colin did grow on me a little bit. My, my you know, he <laughs> Jill gives him a big old kiss trying to make Genevieve jealous and <laughs> He wasn't expecting it, but it's what he's been wanting for so many weeks. And after she gives him the the kiss, he he just pulls away, looks kind of in the direction of the camera, and says, "Cool." <laughs> and it was very cute. And then you know, at the end of this whole tit for tat sequence, Colin, um, just as he's leaving, walks up to the host and tells him, "Oh, can you just send one more thing to Mister Abbott's table? My bill." <laughs> Just, you know, having to get that final dig into Jack and, and Genevieve. And, he, you know, he's kind of suave. He's kind of sweet. I like the funny Colin. The moments where I've liked and enjoyed Colin the most were was this, for instance, or in the hospital when he was 
um, you know, after he had been arrested and he was kind of going crazy and, and talking with Kane. And I mean, I like it when he has that playful side. Um, other than that, it's hard, you know, I'm, most of the time I'm not liking him. Those are the few moments where I do like him because, I, again, I just I don't find the actor very attractive. There's just something about him that just does not particularly appeal to me, except in those brief, brief moments. So, I mean, if we're going to go back to Jill and Colin, that's fine, I guess. But you got to, Weiner, you got to show me some more of that personality. That's, that's, that's his, his saving grace with me. Okay, you guys. Well, that's, that's about it for me for this week. Um... No video portion this week, just audio, but I still think I got some really good insights in there. I went a little slower. I'm in bed. <laughs> just taking my time. Um, I'm probably a little more crusty this week, but if you knew, if you only knew, <laughs> it's pretty, there's a reason, and it's pretty good that I, it's pretty amazing that I was able to must up, muster up any coherent thoughts about The Young and the Restless, but I uh, look at this a little bit as therapy. <laughs> you guys are my therapists, and, um, and this is my therapy each week, and uh, I enjoy it, and I appreciate that you're listening, and I hope that you enjoyed it too. So, everybody, let's all try to have a good week. <laughs> Um, I'm going to be thinking of you guys and wishing the best for you and looking forward to the next time we talk. So everybody, I love you and I'll see you next time. Bye.